My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Greetings, Transmissions fans. Thanks so much for joining us here on another episode. Happy Wednesday, or uh, happy whatever day you are listening to this on. Very excited to be here with you once again. This week on the show, we're reaching back in the archives to share a conversation with New Age composer, author, and playwright, Joanna Brook. She passed away April 28, 2017. I spoke with her in 2016 upon the release of Hearing Music, a numero group collection of her pioneering new age slash electronic music from the 70s and 80s, produced by past transmissions guest Douglas McGowan. As you'll hear in this conversation, she studied electronic music at Mills College under teachers like Terry Riley and Robert Ashley. With the news out that Mills is no longer accepting new students after 2021 and will cease granting degrees after 2023, I found myself thinking of this conversation with her, which truthfully has long lingered with me. Though we printed a version of this talk back in 2016, I wanted to share the audio with you all today as we reflect on her remarkable music uh, and the anniversary of her passing. But first, a reminder that Transmissions is brought to you primarily by our Patreon supporters. If you dig our flavor of cultural reportage, mixtapes, radio programs, features, interviews, and this podcast, head over and check us out on Patreon. Thanks so much for joining us here. I'm very happy to share this one. Uh, Near the end of the conversation, I state somewhat cavalierly, I suppose, that Joanna and I will speak again in the future. But unfortunately, we never did. We did, however, uh, email each other a few times. A few months after the Aquarium Drunkard interview was published, she sent me a note confessing, to be truthful, I have such shyness still about my work. That shyness uh, wasn't warranted, but I, I nonetheless was really moved by getting this email from Joanna. She went on to say that she felt like this conversation got to the heart of the magic that is at the core of her work. What more needs to be said? Here's the late Joanna Brooke on her healing music. You're listening to Transmissions. Thanks so much for taking the uh, the time to speak, and also for being so still flexible. It's been a crazy week. Oh, tell me, I got onto a project this last week. Memorial Day does that to people, I think. Um, I got into a huge project here. I'm redoing my whole yard and totally want to do it myself, which of course is insane. So yeah, anyway, I I totally get it. <laughs> I did this. <laughs> I did the same. <laughs> I did the same thing. I, I, well, not with the yard, but there's a floor. Uh, we've We've got concrete floors in most of our house, and our plan was to to do them all like that eventually. And so, 
uh, I decided, okay, I'm going to knock out the floor in my wife's office. And mm-hmm. I, and you know, of course it's one of the things where you're like, yeah, this will, I'll, I'll be done in a day. Like I, you know, yeah, I'll right, get all right, the right. stuff. <laughs> I'll only have to go to home Depot once. Like, cause I know what, you know, <laughs> and then of course it's like three days later and you're sitting in the unfinished room and you're like, wait, what happened? Where did the, the time go? Oh. So, well, mirror that to me. I mean, I've been, and I keep saying every time I go to Home Depot, this is the last time, and of course yeah. I'm back the next day and the next day and thinking of something oh. else. And, yeah, yeah, I'm putting up a retaining wall, and then I put it up and then realized, oh, I don't like how it, how I shaped it. I have to re- So I had to reshape the whole thing. To, you know what I mean. So, you, yeah, you've been there, done that. We're both there. So I get it, and I'm uh, really, I, if you're exhausted like I am, I totally get it. So if t- tonight works out, great. But if not, you know, we can all. No, no. No, tonight okay. tonight's great. I, I'm really okay, looking forward to it. So you okay. you you are in San Diego still, right? I am, and where are you? Where are you? So I'm calling from Phoenix, Arizona. Ah, my dear friend lives in Tucson. Yeah, oh. toasty hot, toasty hot. Yeah, I think we're going to get up to 118 this weekend. Ouch. Believe it or not. Um, Ouch. I think post one, anything after 110, it, it might you know it's it sort of in, indiscernible the differences, but um. But yeah, it's it's warm. Uh but uh but yeah, so you've been in you've been in San Diego since the uh the mid eighties. You you came there from the Bay Area, right? I did. I did. I moved south. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I love San Diego. Yeah. For a while yeah, while there was an adjustment. I loved um the diversity up in the Bay Area and um and where what's everybody doing? They all just look so healthy and at the beach and um, Yeah. You know, but they they still look healthy and are at the beach, including myself and um but there's everything else here. It just you just have to find it. So Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I love it sure. here. I love it. Well, yeah. I've been spending time with the collection that um the Numero group sent me. Uh, hearing music is fantastic. I had heard your work on the I Am the Center compilation as well, um, mm-hmm. which Douglas put together, and uh, he's been great, a great person to talk to, especially as I've delved more and more into music that was considered um, from the New Age genre, but I think has um, rightly in the past couple of years been... Um, I don't want to say reappraised entirely, but it's been in no small part due to Douglas's efforts, um, much more recognition of the uh, both experimental roots of this music, of mm-hmm. the uh, sort of the deeply um, considered and very thoughtfully composed stuff that, you know, for a lot of times people sort of thought of it as, you know, background music or something, which right, 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 right. it turns out it rewards much deeper uh, listening and consideration. Mm-hmm. So this, your compilation is is, is a fantastic, uh, oh, is a fantastic piece of work. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Yes, that is all true, dear Douglas. Yeah, what a wonder he is to just pop, and he really had to hunt me down. So kudos to him, and um, I rely on him so much now. And part of the fact that I just kind of had all these tapes in my garage, just sort of gathering dust, moving. Thank God they moved with me from house to house, but. I tell you, in another year or so, they would have been crumbling to acetate dust. So um, he really salvaged these, really, just, I'm so grateful to him. You know, I'm listening to it today and and enjoying it so much and so grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just sort of, let's sort of go back a little bit and kind of get started. You, I wanted to start off by asking you about um, 
your mentor, Josephine Miles. Um, ah. You, you studied uh, literature, right? That was sort of how you, sort of when you first got started in, in college, that was sort of your a- academic focus? Right. I always wanted to be a writer. And since I was a little girl, read a lot, loved to write, um, had a little recognition when I was young. And that was, you know, what a teacher, a good teacher in high school told me I was a writer. You know, just one person can just make you start to fly in that direction. Anyway, I wanted to be, a, but I studied. I took it very seriously. You know, I, I studied it like, um, and I think it's uh, the, the fate that happens to a lot of people who are very serious about their craft. You become aware, very aware of how how good the greats are, and you feel really rather, what's the word, uh, pretty insignificant in comparison. It's like, oh, my God, how, he did that, and, and what am oh, I sure. thinking? But, but nonetheless, I continued to be a writer, and um, I very was very fortunate at Berkeley, where I went to college, to have a series of really excellent teachers who started to maybe unknowingly move me in the direction of sound. And one was, um, let me see, who would that be? Well, I never, don't really know his name. God love him. Mm -hmm. He was a professor. uh, Berkeley was so great because if you had to fulfill your requirements, say, in English, if you didn't like the English class, you had 15 more to choose from. You know, it was just so cool. And he taught, uh, I want to say Middle English. Um, I think someone might correct me and call it whatever. But it's... um, he, we were studying The Fairy Queen by Spencer, and he kept reading a passage, and he could speak in that old English, you know, that I wish I could imitate it. It's a very strange dialect, and he would repeat it, and it was about the hero going through this dim, dark passage of despair, and he would repeat it over and over again, and at the end of each time he read it, he would say, what's going on? And people would, you know, raise their hand, the hero's going through a bad time, the hero's suffering, yes, 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 but what's going on? And he repeated, and it was almost ad nauseum, because I kept saying, if he does this one more time, I am getting so depressed, I'm going to commit suicide or something, you know? And so (laughs) the, the light bulb went off, and I raised my hand, and I said, he strategically using the sound D in the passage to create Hmm. an effect, almost like a drum, you know, dim, dark, despair, on and on. He's putting it so brilliant, and and the teacher beamed, you know, he said, that's it, that's it, that's it. And I don't know if you heard my last interview with uh, Douglas, but I I also had a wonderful um, anthropology teacher who showed us a film of when he went to somewhere in Southeast Asia of a healing ceremony they did for a woman who was very, very depressed. I think she was postmenopausal and had lost a child and just, you know, you could just see when she walked in, she was almost catatonic. And they all chanted about her and chanted and chanted. And this went on for a very long time. And um, eventually she started getting into it and she started Mm. her head going back and forth. And then she started dancing and then she started shaking and then she started laughing. And, you know, it was such a transformation. So I started to really be fascinated with the whole concept of sound in uh, poetry and doing sound poetry. And there was a wonderful book that another teacher had called Technicians of the Sacred, which kind of did the same thing with sound poetry and thought that was wonderful. So Josephine Miles was a 
um, one of my teachers at Berkeley. Uh, she was a poet laureate, I think, of California, very wonderful poet. And I went yeah. to her and I said, in, in those days, you could create your own major if you had a sponsor. So I said, I'm really interested in this concept of sound, sound in poetry, sound in, but a sound doing. I'd like to, you know, there's this studio. Berkeley had a very little synthesizer studio. Mills was really on the cutting edge. They had a big one. I said, Mills has this great studio. I'd like to go up there and work there and explore these, you know, taping sounds and seeing what happens with them. And so Josephine said, yes, I'll I'll sponsor you. And, you know, two phone calls later and I was in it, you know, I got the, the head of the department, Bill Moraldo, said, boy, someone just called me and you're in. So it was, yeah. you know, I didn't know she had that kind of pull, but that was very thoughtful of her and I'm very grateful. So anyway, so that began my whole experimental sessions at Mills, but I wasn't really into anything other than just kind of playing with sound, just playing with sound and just seeing where what it was. And my first pieces were um, sound pieces. Uh, you know, I just would repeat a phrase, turning, curving, I think is one that was on Charles Amerconian's interview, turning, I would just do it and do it. I was watching a leaf turn on a on the wind on a branch and I just yeah. repeated that and turning, turn, you know, just kind of getting into the rhythm of how the sound was doing what sound and form were very close. Right. And, and sound and form is a whole big, I mean, if you want to get into, you know, Hindu, uh, sound Sanskrit and some of the, the very early languages where name and founder sound are so close. So, um, name and form. And um, even biblical, you know, in the beginning was is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through the Word. Well, that's all about sound. It's all about mantra. It's all about vibration. And, right. you know, even at the same time, I was really fascinated with what I was hearing in, in uh, unified field theory about the first vibrations are coming out of the vacuum, out of silence, for lack of a better word, you know, just nothing. And they were waves. They were waves before they would become sound or light. It was just the first impulses of life for these waves in the vacuum state. So that was also triggering me into this silence that was beneath all sound. And I was getting more and more into that aspect of this uh, silence underlying it and what it comes out of and goes back to the rhythm of sound. Anyway, I could go on forever. <laughs> Am I answering your question or am I getting off track? No, no, that's, that's, that's wonderful. So it sounds to me like you weren't, um, you know, uh, at, at the time, I suppose there were probably uh, minimalists and experimental composers who were experimenting with things like repetition and, uh, you know, looping phrases and, and uh, repeating phrases and mm-hmm. patterns mm-hmm. like Steve Reich or, or, or any right. of the, you know, uh, Terry Riley or Lamont Young, but it doesn't sound to me like that was necessarily what you, the traditions you were drawing from. It sounds to me more like you were, you were kind of coming at it from a position of, uh, maybe less, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it sounds like it was maybe coming from uh, one, a, a more emotional or spiritual sort of place. It sounds like that was sort of the side of things that I, I you were drawn to. Uh, very much, yes, to the, the silence, the spiritual side, I would think, is very um, apropos. Um, yeah. At the time, I didn't even, I was too embarrassed to call myself a composer. I mean, who was I? You know, I never, 
sure. I didn't I didn't study like Steve Reich did or any of these people going to ballet and you know listening to. I mean, I just um, was just loving it, and that yeah. always was such a the joy of it, the joy of hearing music and making it from the simplest things sticks hitting sticks together or rocks or a gong or um, uh, outside the studio at Mills were crickets, recording the crickets. And then if you slow down the sound of crickets, if you in those days everything was analog, so we had a barristine yeah. that you could attach to your tape deck. And by slowing, for lack of a better word, slowing it down, it dropped, it's mathematical, and I loved, I actually loved math too. So it was mathematical, and it dropped it an octave, and then another octave. And, the, and so a B, which is very, would go, or a, a cricket would go, and it was yeah. like a, a drone of a Tibetan monk. And I was going, whoa, whoa, you know, and then, um, as always, people kind of show up at the right moment, and there was an Indian, um, Yogi who said, "Yes, those are some of there's a, several universal sounds and crickets and frogs. They have that. They are that bees. They're all that. And I got it because they're yeah. all drones. They're all wow. If you slow it down or whatever they. So I was just fascinated with it and loving it. But I wasn't. I was embarrassed to call myself a composer. But there was this joy of seeing where it was going. You know, just." Just playing with it, just being what I was listening to and just being quiet. I guess when you talk about where my music came from, it came from silence and just being. And in fact, I was listening to the gong tonight. Remember, I walked into my the studio at Mills and someone had it left the big gong there and I hit it and I was like, oh, wow, that's the creative if you've heard that piece. Whoa, yeah. and it was so tempting, as it is by most musicians, to to hit it faster. And I said, no, no, you have to slow down and listen to the silence, the overtones between the notes, the yeah. the pattern rising between the notes. It's the space between the notes where things are starting to happen. And don't hit it till you, you really hear the next moment, the next just gap where that should be. And that... And going, and it's another thing that I think is sometimes marvelous and also too bad about really great virtuosos is they play fast. They want to show their technique. Play slow. Slow it down. Just slow yeah. it down. Slow it down to almost an Eric Satie kind of thing, you know, where just slow it. Just how slow can you play it? How slow sure. can you chant it, you know? <laughs> So uh, and and then listen to what goes between the notes, and so that's how I guess you'd say I, lo- I learned music as I started to listen between the notes, and I'd start to hear maybe an arpeggio rise or a, a slight melody or a. Um, uh, lots of times you'd hear an arpeggio, you'd hear something scaling up, and because it's the natural harmonic scale of a fifth and a, you know, the things I know now, I didn't know then, but I was hearing these, yeah. these fifths and thirds and, you know, octaves. And um, I just thought, oh, this is, this is just bliss. This is just, I am just so into this. And also at Mills, they had um, the electronic studio and plenty of tape decks and plenty of synthesizers. So I could, I, a lot of my composing was done um, in the in the studio, overlaying things, overlaying uh, one on top of the other, 
uh, slowing things down, um, maybe hearing a melody and going to the synthesizer to create it. Synthesizers can, are, are math, can mathematically recreate any sound, hypothetically. So you could sure. do a flute or you could do a horn or you could do um, a piano or all of that. And that was just like, wow, you know, candy store to a kid for me. Like me, it was just so, so much fun. So for the longest time, it was just for myself. I was just doing it for myself and um, started to tape it. And even when I taped it, I was so shy. I, you know how you have to get a good level. I didn't even want to see a level on the tape, <laughs> right. which really got me in trouble later because there was so much noise. If These are the old days, you know, where everything you had to watch out for ambient sound and white noise flooding in to a low level. Anyway, because there was so much silence in my music, there were real gaps. And, right. You know, so, and in fact, um, healing music, I had to, when I actually turned it into a piece that I, I wanted to sell, um, I had to take off about the first two minutes because it's literally me being F-sharp major, uh, F-sharp, about, um, you know, for three minutes. Just listening. Yeah. Listening to what came yeah. next, you know, to what, what's, and and hang in there, you know, don't push it, just play it, put the pedal down, the sustain, and listen to the overtone, and that's how I kind of taught myself to play, and that's when I started to hear melodies. So there's a long story. Gosh, you really got, oh. <laughs> you really no, got me on a roll there. <laughs> that's, that's, that's beautiful. So you you talked a little bit about you know recording nature, you know, frogs and bees and crickets and stuff. And, and you got to, uh, you got to the, to the point sort of, of the idea of an underlying drone, you know, which I know is a term that is used in the liner notes of this set. And it seems to me like that was a pretty profound sort of thing for you to, to recognize. Um, what was it about that concept that, that moved you so, and, 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 and sort of a sort of a double sided question, but was that something you were attempting to sort of um, tap into with your own music? It's an interesting question because, honest to goodness, I kept trying. In certain, after a while, I tried to get away from it because it yeah. I kept coming back to it. It was just, I it was just a sound. It was just maybe it's. I, I ended up uh, when I got my master's at Mills uh, teaching, and one of the things I used to love to watch students do is show them how to use a synthesizer and see what they came up with, you know, see what note, yeah. what, what what was the first thing they went to, what was that first note, what drew them to, you know, what did they want to, what kind of rang, it's that moment when you hear something and you just go, oh yes, that's the note, that's my note, that's my yeah. sound, that's me. So on one level, that drone is very resonant with me. Um, it's my sound. And I remember when I learned to meditate, I remember thinking, well, what are they going to give me? I mean, you know, what mantra are they going to give me? I've heard such glorious sounds in my head and in my music. It was it was that sound. It was that sound. I, I don't know how to describe it other than that was that was so close. Somebody somewhere knew, or I knew, or it just was, that's me. So... Yeah. I don't know about uh, intentionally going there. It just came up a lot, and I, and I, I don't know if it's a feminine thing, but in India, they always have a tambura player always playing in the background, and it's a four-stringed instrument that repeats. 
and repeats and repeats. And the, it's the background to all the ragas. Every raga has the tambura. And a woman always plays that. So that may be something very um, ancient, you know, that I, yeah. I stumbled onto. You know, that it's the background, my the background to the music. It's the tambura. It's the that repetition that that just is behind it all. And yeah. um, so that, to answer your question, I don't know if it does, but that's that's sort of where I came from that drone. But it showed up all over the place, yeah. So you, you quickly recognized that your music had um, sort of a, a meditative, or sorry, pardon me, obviously a meditative quality, but I mean specifically sort of a medicinal quality or a healing quality. You named you know, it's a healing music. Uh, mm-hmm. How did how did you stumble onto the idea that that your music could have sort of a could could serve that that purpose in people's lives, sort of a way of helping calm themselves or or meditate or or simply feel I don't know better than they did before they listened. How did you <laughs> how, did, how did you stumble into that? Hmm. Good question. Um, I'm wondering, actually, it's a great question. How did I come across healing music? Well, um, hmm. Hmm. Did it serve that purpose for you? Did you feel as if you yourself um, were were gaining that sort of, um, were sort of gleaning that quality from your music, that that it it worked kind of on on a personal level in terms of, you know, uh, whatever it is that, that... Music, music is sort of magic, you know. So, did you sort of find that that magic was working its whole thing on your psyche well, while you were always, making it? It was always magical, and yeah. of course, I go back to that woman who I saw heal through sound, yeah. and I knew sound yeah. could do um, could do that. I knew that sound was m- maybe the most powerful thing we have, you know, in in terms of it, it hadn't been explored enough, and maybe on some level, I. Uh, I'm trying to actually trying to think where I would come up with that title, healing music. Where did it come to me? Because they usually all had a little story behind it, sure. but uh, nothing's ringing a bell right now. Healing music was my first piece yeah. uh, on the piano, really, that I consider worthy of you know recording. Uh, not worthy, but I recorded. And uh, <laughs> worthy sounds so so ridiculously self-critical, and I wasn't there at all. Um, healing music. So it was just uh, a title that I came up with. Yeah. Um, oh God, I'm hearing one of my drones right now. I love. I love. I love my own music. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a beautiful Maybe. thing. I can't even tell you how how I have done. You know, hundreds and hundreds of interviews in my lifetime, and I I, I don't know how often I've heard somebody say I love my own music. You know what I mean? And I. <laughs> I think it's kind of a, it's a beautiful, it's a refreshing change um, (laughs) from people who I believe try to maybe feign some distance from what they've made. But, um, oh, and I get that too. I totally understand that. But, sure. um, The music, uh, oh, God, that's out of that. I love this piece. Anyway, um, I guess because it just, this sounds so, so, well, I don't know, for lack of a better word, new agey. It was, um, it was coming through me in some way. Yeah. It was not, yeah. I didn't take any credit. I mean, it was like, 
you know, if I, I remember when I started my radio shows and people liked it or they didn't like it. And if they didn't like it, I didn't care. I didn't take any credit for it. It was just this music that's there for everybody. And I didn't take credit. And it was embarrassing for me to say I was a composer at the beginning. I just felt I... It, now, in writing, that's a whole other dish, issue, but, you know, because sure. I work on it, I practice it. This, I just sat down and I just said, let's listen. Let's just listen. See what comes. Let's start to play. And so there was a little bit of, um, I mean, this is such an embarrassing story, but I was walking down the street in Berkeley and I heard this great music coming out of this house. And I went up to the door and I said, wow, I really like this music. And he said, oh, yeah, it's this woman, Joanna Brooklyn. I said, oh, that's me. That's me. You know, oh, and he was wow. Like, I did. I mean, I rem- it was so bizarre, and um, that that there is this kind of um, wow, you know. I, I yeah. did that, you know, and and um, and I guess that's part of what I do love about music. Maybe there's a healing aspect. I think everybody hears it, and not mine, but they hear it. They hear it. It's there. It's it's sounds of this. Oh, out of uh, diving deep is on. If you go underwater, and it's just not silence. There's music. It's coming through there. It's yeah. when you go to bed at night. It's when you, especially when you're in love or you hold something you love. It's There's this beautiful, it doesn't have to be distant. Uh, you can just sit at a synthesizer and play. Just play. Yeah. It's music, it's there. So there was a, a wonderful feeling of, um, Wow. You know, or but not ownership. Just kind of wow, it's coming through me. You know, yeah. so and I think it's why because Doug was saying, "Aren't you doing anymore?" I still do it sometime, but you know, it's just not not jumping jumping through me as much. So it's okay. It's okay. It was there. And it was, yeah, it was there. So yeah. And the uh, no, no, I, it's not much to move on from. From I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel like that. <laughs> It's such a beautiful thought. I could dwell on it for much longer. But, um, you know, the, the graphic design of your tapes um, oh. is very striking. Um, did you have a, a vision for how you wanted those to look? Uh, how did, how did the, the, those come together? You mean together? The, geometric, the geometric shapes? I mean, the geometric shapes. I also mean, um, you know, there's the, the, the tapes in general, obviously there are some which featured photographs of you. Um, but. Oh. But also uh, the geometric shapes chiefly, and okay. um, and then also there was a one you used um, Howard Howard Pyle's painting the the mermaid on a on a yeah, tape yeah, as yeah. well. That was that was nice. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, um, the geometric shapes one of my favorite stories um, because I hadn't composed music. I really when I heard music, I didn't know how to score it. And uh, if I if a synthesizer wasn't nearby or a friend to say, oh, I'm hearing this tune, can you can you play it on the flute? I, I'm going to record you right now, or or can you come into this room and sing? Because I'm yeah. hearing this, and here's what I'm hearing, and they'd sing it, and I'd capture it. Well, I there came a point where music was so intoxicating to me that I started to just love to hear it all the time, and I started to shut out everybody else. And this sounds so strange, but I could I could hear sometimes what people were thinking, and I thought that was very invasive. It was none of my business, and also it was very boring. So I really started shutting that down, that 
part of it. Instead, my focus went to this sort of celestial music or this music of the spheres or the, you know, the, all these drones and the hums and the, the bees and the wind. And, you know, oh, I was just so into that that I started to lose everything else. And I don't think that was healthy. I think I started to get a little bit, um, I think I was actually uh, someone once said I was, looked like I was going, I would go deaf if I continued how I was going because huh. I was shutting out so much of everything else. I just wanted to hear that. And I knew that wasn't healthy. So, um, believe it or not, that's about the time I started to meditate. And believe it or not, that's about the time I stopped hearing music. Um, for a while, and I knew I would in a, in a weird way, I, and I knew that was okay, that I needed to get healthy, for lack of a better word, and sure. I went on a long, long meditation course, about three months, and um, and it was great, because I could just be quiet, and I loved the silence, but I, and I wasn't hearing music, I was just, you know, enjoying this course, and about maybe two months in, I started hearing music again. And I went, oh, and I didn't know how to write it down because I was didn't have a synthesizer and I uh, didn't have access to anything. So I started seeing it in shapes and huh. I started to, ha- I had butcher paper, I got some from my room and I just started drawing it, drawing it and drawing it on the walls and circles and arches and Oh, I just love that. You know, I would start to hear, uh, and that's how I would, that's how I scored my music. Now, can I look at that and say, oh, I know what I was hearing? <laughs> Not really, but it was just, it just captured, uh, and, um, and then I became aware of the shapes of music, and, um, they had something then called an oscilloscope that you could see the shape of a wave shape. Yeah. Of, a flute, for example, is a perfect wave. Or if you switch it to the different view, it's a perfect circle. So, you know, I knew that music did have these various shapes. So, um, but other than that, I was just playing with one circle would become another circle, would become another circle, and a, a pattern would come out of one and it would grow bigger. You know, that. so that's where yeah. the geometric shapes all came from. And um, I was so grateful for... Douglas, he said, oh, uh, he said, do you have any? I went, oh, no. Oh, I have one notebook of them, and I sent it to him, and that's where he pulled some of them from. So, um, anyway, that's the that's the notations. That's the geometric shapes. Well, that's great. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, I actually had a show once of my shapes, and um, a lot of them were arches, kind of arches, and it kind of got where cathedral concepts came from very very huh. musical and um so anyway it's all related somewhere <laughs> yeah it's kind of it seems like it's all it all comes from in some ways it all it all serves the same uh yeah yeah it, it's it's all all this art is kind of of your of, of you do, do you feel like you know you've remained very active writing you know creatively you, you've done fiction uh-huh. and plays poetry uh and play do you think? Yeah. Do you feel like some of that's? Do you feel like that comes from a similar place as the music for you? Not as or is much. it different? Yeah, it's very different, and not very. I'd say it's it's um, it's um, much more. 
you know, I had to make a living as a writer and uh, sure. something, so I chose writing. So I did a lot of technical work. I did a lot of Internet writing, you know, kind of the the who, what, where, when, how, you know, form. <laughs> it, it, yeah. became, it became a very different skill set. So, um, but I, I noticed lately... Uh, listening to my album while I write, it really helps. It really kind of gets me into some sort of groove. But I, um, you know, the writers who write like that, like my music or, I don't know, Walt Whitman, people like that, you know, something. Yeah. And every so often I'll just come across a phrase from someone and I'll go, ah, yes, yes, yes. You know, it'll really resonate something. But um, writing is much more of a narrative and much more literal. Someone's trying to get in. I'll let them go to voicemail. So anyway, okay. all right. Yes. Yeah. So does that answer? Kind of. Kind of. It does. That does answer. It's, it's it's not quite the same thing for you, but um. No. But obviously, also you know, yeah. cr- creatively fulfilling, just in a different way. In a very different way. Yes. Very very fulfilling. Very fulfilling. Yes. Yes. Kind of have to do it every day. It's like breathing. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Something like that. Yeah. So you had a, a radio program on KPSA. Um, yes. Were you playing your own music chiefly, or were you playing what? What? What, what was the the format of your show like? Well, um, I think Charles Amerconian interviewed me, and mm-hmm. he had a nice response to the show. And he said, "You know, you're really onto something here. Would you do? Would you do a regular show?" Um, I think he gave me the midnight slice slot or something, you know, yeah. every two weeks or um, on this this type of music. And I said, sure. And uh, terrified, but, and I didn't play my own music. I played other people. There was Alice Coltrane, Miles Davis, you know, um, let's see, those are some of the people, Terry Riley. Um, yeah who were kind of doing that kind of music. I would intersperse it maybe with an Indian raga, but, um, uh, or a Debussy. You know, I mean, sometimes I'd bring in a classical or a jazz, and, um, you know, Miles Davis' Castles in Spain is so beautiful. And, um, oh, God, I should probably look at my notes, some of the greats who were really pianists and musicians yeah. and trumpet players and just, uh you know, I grew up in St. Louis, so part of me is always loves the blues. So there's this, um, uh, I don't know. So, yes, that was my show, and it was every two weeks or so. And then I moved up through the ranks. Um, I became, uh, worked for the drama and literature department, and I, I loved theater, so I was doing a lot of um, interviews and things like that and started to produce my own shows. And I really was fascinated with women's uh, the women's issues. I did one on Hildegard von Bingham. She was a great uh, composer, female composer, around, oh, what was it, 1400s. Really spectacular, beautiful, beautiful music. So, uh, you know, yeah. I did a show called Mozart's Sisters and that sort of thing. And I um, um, did... Then I did a series on the Great Goddess, and then Women in History, and blah blah blah. So that path, it, you're right, kind of came off that same fork in the road, <laughs> went down that path, and then through sort of a series of events, um, I became program director. And part of the responsibility of the program director is to uh, run the annual marathon 
to raise money by running it. I don't mean running it, but you know, you're kind of key person. You have to go on. You have to. You have to. Sure. And I thought, well, what'll what'll I do? You know, um, well, I I have this tape of my music, play my music, and I was really nervous. And oh, who should I play first? Because I always believe you should acknowledge whoever kind of helped you out in the world. Oh, wish I could remember who I played first. But anyway, I played them first, and then I played my music. And I said, and if you subscribe to the station, I'll send you a cassette for free. And the phones lit up. It was just, I was stunned. The radio station, the general manager was stunned. The phones were stunned. I mean, it was just this phenomenal, I mean, it amazes me, you know, even to this day, because this music is not mainstream, you know, but people resonated to it and they called in. So that was like, wow. And now all of a sudden I had to fill 500 orders and um, I didn't, uh, and what I was going to send them a little cassette I put together in my, you know, in my my uh, studio. Now I had to mass produce, and so um, and so Pacifica, who ran KPFA, agreed to do it. And the quality not not so much to their fault, but it was really bad. And I said, Oh God, I can't send this. And then of course people are going, Where's my cassette? And I went, Oh God, I have to go back to the drawing board. And that's when I um, started to up my game a little bit in terms of production. Yeah. And worked with some really good studios and people to put a good master together and, um, you know, learned the whole engineering end of it. And so that led to um, my um, my business, my, my little production studio and my music company and my sales of my album. So yeah. That's how that all evolved. So, yes, did I have a show? Yes. And did it launch many other things? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, and for years afterwards, I produced for NPR and Pacific and KPFA and mostly NPR. Yeah. And, you know, um, as a producer, I could produce, I did a show on Chopin, you know, that kind of thing for his birthday and did things like that where I, um, could get them posted and all of that stuff. So yeah, that will let a nice, it, more fun, more fun than you can ever have. Radio is the best, um, and I particularly loved it because I wouldn't. It was interesting. I had this kind of, I, I, I liked being heard, but I didn't like being seen. So it just fit my persona to a T. And um, so, eh, so it, where was I with that? I kind of lost my strain of train of thought for a moment. Anyway, um, so I did that for a while, and there you go. There you go. Yeah. I want to go go back just one second to a part of this story where you talked about people's response when you said that you would send them tape and people, the phone's lighting up. Yeah, uh, blew me away. <laughs> that, that, well, that must have felt wonderful. Oh, pardon me? Oh, it was, it was pretty blissful. It was one of those yeah. moments in life, you know, where you just like higher than a kite. It's like, wow, really, really, and you know, people just wanted it, and yeah, yeah, that was that was a real eye opener, and I think that's that that connection that music makes, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, now after all these many years of your music being um, not impossible, but certainly not as easy to obtain as it is now. Uh, it must feel good to know that people can just uh, can find it, that it's out there in, in, in an increasingly, in, in a more visible way anyway. 
Um, oh, really nice, and it's, especially with the CD, and they're even repro- you know you saw the LP. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I'm I'm thrilled about it, and it's strange. Um, Douglas, when I were kind of writing back and forth a little bit about this, I'm getting this response from Europe. Something's going on in Europe, and I don't know who's. People said I heard you. I heard your music, and uh, I thought, well, where? I should probably pursue and find out. I think Douglas is where. <laughs> I mean, yeah. where did you hear it? <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, can I use it on my film? Can I, you know, whatever? So it was like, well, sure, go for it. I mean, I don't. The, the nice thing about getting older is, it's like I'm not that attached. I never was that attached, but now it's like, sure, go ahead, go ahead. But yeah. Douglas is like, well, now wait a minute, you know. He he he'll takes care of all that for me, but um, sure, yeah, sure, yeah, I, for anybody really, yeah, yeah, thrilled, thrilled that people like it. Well, Wonderful. I have to tell you, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you about this. Oh, um, I'm just a chatty Kathy when I talk about music. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's it's wonderful, and it's been very uh, very illuminating and, and very. Oh, insightful. you're so kind. <laughs> right. So I. Uh, I, I think I've got enough to get started, but if I think of other stuff or if oh, I have, please. you know, a, a question or a clarification, I will, I will reach out. And I will continue to think, where did I call it healing music? Yeah, I think you're do. right. It did heal me. It did heal me. It does make me feel very whole. There's no doubt yeah. about it. Well, that's and great. I wonder if maybe it was by naming it that, if it was almost a, a sort of a statement of intent, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Sometimes we, we make, that's sort of the, the amazing thing. I, I heard a quote recently, and now I don't remember who it was attributed to, but I heard somebody talk about how the, the wonderful thing about music is that musicians are able to create their own ancestors. They're able to say who, you know, inspired them to, I think it was a hmm. quote about Arthur oh, Russell. That's so cool. Yes, yes, yes. That's beautiful. But then it made me think about how we're also sort of able, I think as a musician, you're able to sort of state what you almost hope your music can do in the world, you know? And maybe I wonder if by calling it healing music, you were simply putting that idea out there that this is music that served that purpose for you and could potentially serve it for others, so... Well, and you know, now that you mention it, um, oh, Kaiser at one point, I think it was Kaiser, um, yeah. approached me and they, they wanted like 200 to use in their, you know, to let people play while they were healing, you know? Yeah. I thought, oh, sure, go for it, you know, that's great. And, um, yes, so I think it, uh, yeah, it has a, a calming. Well, and you know, it did go counter so much to what was going on. I mean, I love, I love rock as much as anybody, but it just went the opposite direction. Do you know what I mean? It was like, oh, just slow down. Just slow down. Yeah. And again, don't get me wrong, it's great. I mean, I love it. But, you know, it, it, there's, it's just the other half of that equation. So, yeah. I am. <laughs> the other half. Well, hey. It's like I said. It's been it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, and uh, this won't be the, the last time we speak. So. Oh well, great. All right. Okay. Well, pleasure speaking with you too. Yeah. Thanks Good so much. Now, is this an article or what is this going to be? What is this going to be? So this is going to be for we we run a a, a blog called AquariumDrunkard.com, <laughs> and uh, and it's 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 a pretty well received uh, site out of Los Angeles and my friend uh-huh. Justin runs it and I'm one of the main contributors. So this will be probably published as like a long form uh, Q&A between you and I. So, oh, um, great. Okay. So yeah. it'll, it'll either be that or it'll be a, a more feature length thing where I intersperse your quotes through some of my thoughts. I, 
I, I think it'll probably be the former, but you never know. Sometimes as you well, start writing them. Yeah, yeah. see where the muse takes you. <laughs> exactly. I will. Well, all right. Well, thank you so much, and good luck with your flooring. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Uh, good luck with the, uh, with the, the, the yard. Garden. Yeah, the my garden. wall in the garden. <laughs> all right. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks so much. Have a, have a great evening. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. The late Joanna Brooke. An honor to share that archival phone call with Joanna. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed having that conversation. I'm Jason Woodbury, and I write, produce, and host transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Visuals and more by Sarah Goldstein and Jonathan Mark Walls. And our executive producer is Justin Gage. We'll be back next Wednesday with another great conversation. I'll be joined by Jay Maskus of Dinosaur Jr. to discuss the band's fifth comeback era album, Sweep It Into Space, which was produced by a recently announced Verve recording artist and past transmissions guest Kurt Vile. So if you are on pins and needles uh, to hear my conversation with Jay and you need something to tide you over in the meantime, Head back in the Transmissions archives and check out Justin Gage's conversation with Kurt Vile, which he had over at Aquarium Drunkard HQ a few years back. Until then, stay safe, keep on the sunny side, and we will talk with you soon. Thanks for listening to Transmissions.